Welcome, nerds and geeks, to another episode of Goblins of Guidance. We are the goblins here to give you all guidance. I'm Calvin, and joining me are... David. And Andrew, and we sit out to answer D&D Reddit's most pressing questions. Alright, David, what's a goblin's New Year's resolution? It's to stop goblin on player characters and break the negative stereotype that goblins are just a DM's throwaway monsters. That sounds more like political commentary than... Hey, hey, goblins need their (laughs) racial freedom, too. But that's... (laughs) That's that's like a actual issue and not a joke. Yeah, and my joke is a very good commentary on how you should stop having stereotypes based on races, and you should be able to do whatever you want, no matter what you are. Okay? That is true. The circumstances of your birth do not determine what you do with your life. And you know what? Same with all goblins, okay? They don't have to be the level one, level two monsters that players fight, okay? Okay, Cragmaw Castle is a completely terrible stereotype of goblins, okay? They can do whatever they want, and if my goblin wants to stop goblin on player characters, let him do it. Let him do it, Andrew. Yeah, Andrew. Well, on that very not lighthearted note... (laughs) (laughs) Uh... Well, we we ourselves have a couple of resolutions. We do. We well, do. yeah. One, uh, we're gonna try to be a little more consistent this year. Uh, miss and like stop missing so many weeks. Uh, two, we're gonna have better jokes. <laughs> um, I'm not making that resolution. Sorry. <laughs> like, three the jokes are already too good. Uh, as. So yeah, uh, number three is less of a resolution, more of just an announcement. Uh, as we're going into our second semester of college, uh, or, you know, our schedules are changing, so uh, we may be con- uh, transitioning over to uploading on Fridays instead of Thursdays now, starting with this episode. Yes, sir. Our schedules at Idaho University sure are com- complicated. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there a University of Idaho? I mean, yes, there is. We go there. Uh, Oh, it's in Moscow. Moscow, Idaho. Oh, Neil. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. I hope y'all gobble till you wobble, bro. Gobble till you wobble. It's It's been like a month and a half since Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, but you still gotta, like, every celebration, that's what you gotta You're do. You're right. You gotta gobble cup. You gotta I mean, gobble a lot of people too. do a Christmas turkey. <laughs> I don't do a Christmas turkey, but but some people do. Oh, did you know Pop- uh, not Popeyes. Yeah, Popeyes. Popeyes sells turkeys. That was weird. Because for Christmas, someone brought a Popeyes turkey, and it's, like, Cajun seasoned. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah. Oh, they're all out online. <laughs> yeah. Go out to the wild and hunt a turkey yourself, then. Yes. No, you should always buy a turkey from a sustainable farm. Do not hunt wild turkeys. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just remember the Wild Kratz episode where, like, Gourmand is hunting turkeys for Thanksgiving. <laughs> all right. I won't question it. Yeah. Either way, eat a turkey. No vegans here. 
Yeah, vegan. No, vegan, vegan, vegan food is actually really good. I really like vegan food now. There's some vegetarian food. No, there's like ve vegan good, food is good, like, right? Vegan people. Okay, well, especially well, the ones who oh, like try well, to try to push well. their veganism down your throat. Those people, I no, well, go away. Okay, I'm talking to you, vegan teacher. Vegan, teacher. but if you're a vegan, like that doesn't make you a bad person. By the way, no, just a lot of vegans are assholes. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and I will not apologize sure. for this statement. Okay, but I didn't expect. I didn't expect. Impossible you to. Whopper is unironically better than the regular Whopper because they <laughs> sure. always overgrill the regular one. But since the Impossible one is like made out of vegetables or something, it like stays soft, so it's not like hard and dry when you eat it. Well, the, David, your problem is you went to Burger King. That I only awesome. went there because I got a free Whopper for free from T-Mobile oh, okay. Tuesdays. Install the app. Every Tuesday, you get free deals. What the fuck? <laughs> David, we're not sponsored yet. Yeah, but we could be. <laughs> also, <laughs> also, it's just useful. Like, I got a free smoothie from a Tropical Smoothie Cafe the other day. Seven bucks smoothie for free if you have T-Mobile. T-Mobile Tuesdays. Install the app. Free deals every Tuesday. Thank you, T-Mobile. <laughs> Andrew, what's our first question? This is a great transition. Our first question uh, is posted by you slash apathetic underscore lemur. Uh, what assumptions should you tell new players to prevent frustration? Example, you remove armor when sleeping. Looking for things that players may think are unfair if sprung on them. Another example, armor takes time to put on and take off. That's a that's a good one. Um, mm -hmm. I mean that example right there, I think, is very valid. Um, because I, I I didn't even know that for a hot minute. Yeah. yeah, in Calvin's campaign, like he gives us exhaustion if we don't take off our armor. So every night we have to consciously say like if we want to or not. Yes. Yeah. I'm going for a very realistic campaign. You gotta have that good sleeping arrangements if you uh, don't want to wake up cranky. What if I just want to be cranky, though? I mean, then, yeah, wear the armor. You just roll but, for exhaustion. Yeah, and then you get, like, disadvantage. Oh, it's yeah. fine, because... Exhaustion sucks. Eventually death. Oh, it's yeah. Fine. Once we hit level three, I don't even wear armor. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I think another assumption... It, I mean, it sort of depends on the DM. Uh, some people are more lenient with this. But uh, thrown items... And like arrows and stuff, there are DMs who, if you don't say that you're going to go pick it up, then you don't have it anymore. Like if you had a throwing axe and you throw it at an enemy, after the battle, if you don't go to pick up that throwing axe, there's a lot of DMs who like it's gone. You can yeah, go back that and get to it me but a like, few times. I, I would really have to did. backtrack through like five rooms. I'd be like, wait, where's my axe? Wait, where's my ad? Oh no. I think I think the like in universe you would realize your axe is missing, so I think the DM could like remind the player. Yeah. That and there and there's some DMs who just like it's kind of assumed that your character would go grab it after, so you don't need to I, keep telling I was gonna you say, to go yeah. grab it. Unless you have negative one intelligence. Like, Unless uh, you have negative one intelligence. I guess it really, it really <clears throat> depends on the, the DM and like yeah. how much of a hard-ass they want to be. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would oh. be really. I think that would be unfair if you sprung the. Oh, you forgot your axe in a room. Mm-hmm. Um, so I yeah, think it's perfectly valid if you piss off your DM in some way and he just wants to just get back at you, though. <laughs> I think it'd yeah. be hilarious. Yeah. Um. Uh. Um. I can't think of anything else off the top of my head right now, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, I yeah. know there's probably more. Maybe something about, um, whatchamacallit, um, it's escaping me. It, it, what, what is, what am I trying to say? Um, if you're going to run with, uh, encumbrance, like, oh, yeah. That. Like, yeah. some DMs run encumbrance, some don't. Yeah. Yeah. Encumbrance is annoying. I was I'm playing Witcher, and I I didn't have saddlebags for like the first ten hours of the game. Really, sure. It was, it was so sad. I did a bunch of the like races kind of early on, and got a bunch of like the super good equipment for it. And mm. Now, like every race I do oh. after, it gives me like shit equipment and like <laughs> stuff. <laughs> No, I just ran the race until I got saddlebags, then I stopped. Day at the races. I, I think that a saddlebags mechanic in D&D would be pretty useful. Just like, because your horse can obviously carry more than you. Yeah, they they kind of limited, uh, or like simplified how horses and stuff could hold stuff. Because if, if you look up horse uh, in the book, uh, as an item, uh, it says its speed and its carrying capacity, but they don't like explain a way that like if you buy better uh, saddlebags, you could do more. Which makes sense to me because a horse can only carry so much. Even yeah. if you have more saddlebags, maybe you would have to buy saddlebags just to hold stuff on your horse. Like it doesn't come with a saddle, obviously. Yeah. Up to the DM. Yeah, it also like depends on how you buy a horse or if you just like catch one in the wild. Oh yeah. Okay. Our next question is from Sandville eighty six. How to make racist player leave the party? Why would you make him leave the party? <laughs> how do you make him leave the party? No, the question is why would you? Ah, <laughs> David. David. <laughs> joke, 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 joke. So For I sixteen. So I, a 16 male, and a group of friends have been playing D&D for around two years now. It's usually really fun, and I usually enjoy being both a DM and a player. Sure. Around half a year ago, another classmate who disliked prior to, who I disliked prior to this journey, prior to this joined the party, I was skeptical from the beginning because of him bullying me earlier, just being <laughs> a pain in the ass. Why would you accept a guy who used to bully you? Uh, anyways, but since he's friends with other players <laughs> of the group, and the other DM decided that we should let him play. Oh, okay, he wasn't DMing. Since then, he asked. Mm. Since then, he has just been ruining my campaign. Starting started screaming over the rules. Arrived late without telling anyone he'd played those sessions, and it had just been a racist and homophobic dickwad. Oh, nice. There's a lot of problems with this guy. 
After all this, I wanted him kicked out of the party more than ever, and the other DMs seemed to agree with me. Huh. More than in the beginning, I guess, what I'm asking for is how to make him leave the party. Hmm. Uh, it's got an edit. I thought I would give some examples <laughs> of stuff he's done. Okay. Doing Nazi salutes, using the N-word, saying stuff like, we should what? kill all the F-slur, being openly racist to immigrants, sending swastikas in the group chat as behavior has led to players leaving the group. These Whoa. are only a few of the things he's done. Oh, if he does many of these oh. regularly. Oh, L human being. That's just an L human being, dude. Okay, I'm oh, thinking, no. right? You go up to Ben, you're like, stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> just I mean, get, get the fuck out. <laughs> just go to a second. You, you tell your DM, out. and then your DM's like, don't come next time. I'm, and that's about it, right? I, I just if realized. If his character's so, important, just like have a friend just take over. Yeah, maybe. I mean, uh, so uh, Sandbill does is the DM, but there is a, just another DM in their group. Oh, he is the DM, but there's he is another the DM. DM. Okay. Yeah. Well, then, yeah, just like yeah, just sell him to fuck off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. Cops. Just just telling telling a player, hey, you can tell him. <laughs> and yeah. seems like you guys aren't eighteen yet, so he can't own a gun. Well, I mean. Doesn't mean he doesn't have one. Okay, yeah. You're right. <laughs> or his parents don't have one he can get a hold of. America! America. Uh, this was posted two days ago, and there's an update. Uh, okay, I just told him that he's no longer wel- welcome when I am the Dungeon Master, and that if he turns up to my next session, he won't be welcome. Uh, I explained the reason as he couldn't see why he wasn't invited anymore. <laughs> That's wow. all they said. What? I don't know how he... <laughs> I feel like when you write it out, like, doing Nazi salutes and using the N-word. Yeah, like, it's, it's not... pretty obvious. Yeah. Cool. I good have job. no idea. Good job, you slash Sandbill86 from two days ago. Man's really be like, but am I wrong, though? In my, in my statements? Or something? I don't, fuck it. I don't want to think about that human being, to be honest. Now, I just had a great idea. For an yeah. in-game way to like just fuck with the the player and like try to get him to leave. Uh make the clan in DD that targets his character like race or something. <laughs> oh, be racist towards him. I like yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. I like it. But like in character and stuff, not to him outside of the game. Yes, because racism solves racism, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> like, like uh, be racist to you, be racist towards them. <laughs> like, come on. What's bullying if it doesn't teach you to be tougher? This is so bad. This is so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! That's a joke. If, uh, anyway, which Let's subclasses are the most evil? By you slash izy y five three. Um. Well, I think Oathbreaker Paladin's pretty bad. I I don't Not think so. Necessarily... 
I think Oathbreaker gets a bad rep. Like, they could have had a bad oath that they were following before, and then they broke it and mm. became an Oathbreaker. But, see, I don't think thing, it necessarily makes them evil. I, I read somewhere... Well, okay, one, the description is, an Oathbreaker is a paladin who breaks his or her sacred oath to pursue some dark ambition or serve an evil power. Whatever light enough. burned in the paladin's light has been extinguished. And I also read somewhere that if a paladin is, like, a generally good person, but they just can't follow their oath, like, they should instead be, like, a fighter or, like, get rid of their divin like, their divine power is just gone, mm. right? But, like, an oathbreaker is someone who chooses to break their oath to pursue some dark ambition or serve an evil power. That's why their powers are, like, that's why they have magic, and it's, like, actively mm -hmm. evil magic, like, inflict wounds or control undead or something. Mm. So, I guess. That's, that's my argument. And and, and it does say that's in the description evil. that that they, they choose to. Alright. What what else is evil? I, I War, feel like... Warlocks are feed, a little sketch. I mean, a lot of the warlock ones are pretty evil. I feel like the most evil of the warlock ones might be, like, Fiend or something. Since those, I feel like those are the closest ones to, yeah, arch devils and stuff. They right. they have Asmodeus and like Bilal and stuff as their patrons, uh -huh. Uh -huh. which feel like one of the most evil options for a warlock to go. What about like the undead? Because most of the monsters or like beings that they serve are pretty evil too. Yeah, yeah, but like, I think. Uh, a literal uh, devil is more evil than like a demi lich or something. Right. Yeah. I I'm like trying to like rank the evilness of these <laughs> patrons. Evilness. <clears throat> but with that undying thing, I think necromancer is like the most evil wizard school to go into. Oh yeah. Because that's just like breaking all laws of uh, morality and human goodness. Well, if you think that way. If you if think, you that, think way. that way. I'm, I'm sure. Okay, I feel like political arguments and D&D can get very. It's <laughs> 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 like, what are the ethics of raising the dead? What if they want to be come back? But mm. is it still moral? Like, <laughs> I would not want to be a politician in D&D. That would be that'd yeah. be terrible. Thinking about politics. That's yeah. that's why every that's why every kingdom's a monarchy. <laughs> yes. So you don't have to think about the morality, you just do what you're told. True, true. We should go back to a monarchy. <laughs> you know what? You know, we should go back to a hunter gatherer society. Yeah. Andrew's been talking about that for the past two years. <laughs> yes. Do you disagree? I feel like it'd be a lot harder to play video games. Would it? What? Would it actually? Uh huh. Yep. Think about You're it. You're right. You're right. You're right, Andrew. There you go. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I mean, all right. There's also uh, quickly a lot of the, the rogues. A couple... Some of the rogues can be pretty sketch. 
I mean, some of the rogues, I'm thinking Assassin and Mastermind. Because yeah. Assassin yeah. do a lot of stabby, stabby, murder, murder. But then Mastermind does a lot of that planning shit. Yeah. I I feel like there's a difference between like stabby, stabby, murder, murder, and like making a pact with the devil, though. Yeah. Well, we're, we're not like saying the the absolute most evil subclass. We're just like going uh-huh. through what are the most evil for each class. Okay, okay. So, are any of the fighter classes like inherently evil? Not particularly. Uh, I don't think so. Like some of these really don't have a very evil one like like ranger. Like fighter ranger. <clears throat> Ranger's kind of bland. <laughs> Depending on uh, how you play I mean, Gloom's Talker be... is kind of like the shadiest of them, but they're not necessarily evil. They're yeah. just uh, the description for Gloomstalkers is that they're home in the darkest places, deep under the earth and stuff like that. So they're more just like a uh, product of their environment than anything else. Yeah. Uh, death domain clerics are basically the same as a necromancer uh, wizard. Uh-huh. But a little worse because they actually like worship the deities that embody murder. Uh-huh. <laughs> Valid. Interesting. I think out of all the classes, Warlock has the most potential to be very evil. Yeah. They are sketchy. Make a lot of deals at crossroads. Okay. What is the most good subclass? Probably paladin, yeah? I would say paladin or like cleric. One of the mm. paladins. Especially the life or light cleric. Yeah, light cleric, devotion paladin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very epic. Makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> awkward silence is awkward. <laughs> okay. Yeah. On to the next one. Our next question. <clears throat> Posted by user Zelda Prime. Semi advanced combat starts. How do you deal with standoffs? I encountered a play argument on initiative the other day and want to get some opinions on how this is run at other tables. The basis of the argument being how do you run a showdown? I'll set the scene. The party of three adventurers, A, B, and C, discover a group of bandits in the forest. All three of A, B, and C all succeed on their stealth checks against the passive perception of the bandits to approach the camp. Players A and B hide off in the shadow while their bow- with their bows drawn at the bandits. They state, I ready an attack that I will fire if a fight breaks out. Player C reveals themselves to the bandits and engages in conversation. Tensions are high with both parties ready for a fight, but not initiating just yet. Conversation isn't going well, so player B reveals themselves and tries to intimidate the bandits and fails their intimidation check. Player C then declares, when they player B, I cast Eldritch Blast. Roll initiative. In this scenario, we have three different arguments, where each player feels they should get to fire off their attack prior to going through normal initiative order. The argument against that is that the bandits were ready for a fight as well. My questions are these. Oh, jeez, this is long. Does anything occur before initiative order begins? For example... Do you allow player C to cast Eldritch Blast and then have their full turn later in the order, whether that occurs right away or much down the line? Two, 
Do you allow player A, who has been hidden all this time, to release their arrow based on their stated trigger? Three, do you allow player B, who has stated they had an attack ready for when a fight breaks out or because they reveal themselves as something changed? Four, I don't believe that surprise is a factor here. As while player A was hidden from the bandits, the bandits were not unprepared for an attack as they were are aware of player B and C. However, I could be wrong. Five, would the bandits also in this case have readied attacks, drawn bows, etc.? Do they get the same treatment? If they do, is this an overcomplicated mess that should instead just jump right into normal initiative? I think at the very right. least, right. that second one, allowing player A, who has been hidden all this time to release the arrow based on the stature, I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that one's fair. Let's let's go at this part by part. It's like a uh, number one first. Sure. Do we allow player C to cast Eldritch Blast and then have their full turn later in the order, whether that occurs right away or much down the line? I don't think so. Um, would it be their reaction? And then I so my what I'm thinking is that we allow them to cast Eldritch Blast because that's what triggers this whole combat thing. Uh, but then we make that their position in the initiative turn order, so they don't actually roll for initiative. We just lock that in as the first person to go. Okay. okay. So that he has to wait until the next, like, beginning of combat, or the beginning of the initiative order to go again. Right. right. Um, and then, do you guys agree with that? Yeah, that sounds fair. That makes sense. Because they are initiating combat. Yeah. <laughs> And it's not like it's not like they uh, got a jump on them because they're right in front of the bandits, so it's not a surprise round, really. Yeah, right. But like, you know how when like, like I don't know, like samurai movies or like mm -hmm. western movies, right? When someone goes to draw and then the other person draws first and shoots first. Yeah. So, is that how initiative works, or is it? Because wouldn't it be like a surprise round? And then they go first, and then everyone rolls for initiative because then they can react. But since this is not a surprise round, since they all know he's there, would they roll yeah. for initiative? I think, I think everyone after player C, I would have roll for initiative because it's everyone reacting to that initial uh, Eldritch blast. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um. All right, number two, do we allow player A, who's been hit all this time, to release their arrow based on their stated trigger? 100% yes. I think that, yeah, that, that sounds valid to me. Yes. If anything, I would uh, have that be um, surprised, because he's shooting from a hidden location, and they don't know about him. Mm -hmm. So while okay. the bandits are ready to, like, to be attacked, they're not ready from that certain angle, per se? Right. Yeah, no, I... I... The one thing I was sure of is that player A should get to fire his arrow, but at least that's how I would do it. Would it be his reaction or just a free, <clears throat> free surprise round thing? I would, I would take, I would take as, as a surprise round thing. Okay. Uh, okay, three. Do we allow player B, who also stated they had an attack ready for when a fight breaks out or because they revealed themselves, is something changed? I would say no. I think, I think it's changed. I don't think they get their reaction anymore. That is yeah, the, I, I agree with that. They kind of, it, um, yeah, they gave up that action when they like hopped out of the bushes. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, four. I uh, believe that surprise is a factor here. While player, eight, I think we we covered number four. I think. Yeah, mm -hmm. basically. Uh, 
and then five with the bandits also in this case have readied attacks, drawn bows, etc. Oh, I, I don't think they would have drawn bows. I think technically they could. It's just whether or not you want them it's, to be it's smart. It's the players know if the bandits are there. If the players don't know the bandits are there, then the bandits get a surprise round. Or no, right? Because they would, this they would be the reacting. Um, they would be reacting to the player C. So I think instead mm -hmm. of a surprise round, there'd be like a reaction on the bandits. Yeah, sure. And in this situation, I don't think they would have bows out because, um, at least in my mind, how this is set up, that they're uh, much closer together. For that to be a, a realistic thing for them to do, I think they probably at least at the very least had their hands like on their weapons, ready to draw and attack like immediately or something like that. But I don't think I would give them a surprise round. Mm -hmm. I think I would jump into uh, initiative. Yeah, I mean, you uh, could you could say that they ready to. Act. I mean, it depends on how smart you want these bands to be and like how difficult of an encounter you want it to be. Yeah. In reality, if the bandits do have ready attacks, then you give them the reaction to shoot. But if they don't have the ready attacks, then you know it's just initiative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, I scrolled I, down to uh, uh, see the comments. Yeah, I, I did see. Yeah, say I. I so like said that rules as written. Uh, yeah, there, there's no surprise at all. Just normal combat. Yeah. And that player so that, just have advantage on their attack, which I mean, if you're playing raw, I guess sure. But yeah, if you're playing raw like that, it doesn't feel realistic to do yeah, exactly. like that. Though. And also, yeah. like I, I kind of want to reward player A, like more than just having than just having advantage. I want to re reward him more than just for like. You know, because he he actually restrained himself and actually stayed hidden instead of player B, who was like, "Hold up, I gotta get out there." Like, bruh. <laughs> yeah. So rules as written, normal combat. But personally, I would I would give player A a surprise round. Mm -hmm. Our next question is from Apprehensive Spell eighty eight. What DM is spell number eighty eight? Uh, yes. It makes me apprehensive. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> DM needing help. Can turn undead kill a player? I'm running a group at level 5 where the cleric just did their first destroy undead. It was a great <laughs> moment, but one of my players is an undead warlock. <laughs> the cleric argued that the warlock should have to make a saving throw or be destroyed. I brushed it off, but the cleric was serious and I gave an answer that destroy undead doesn't work on allies. Am I in the right, or could destroy a dead actually take down a level five undead player? Uh, it says uh, in the edit they say just for the record the player is undead, not just <laughs> the undead like pact or something. Mm -hmm. Let's see, destroy undead. Starting at fifth level, when an undead of CR one half or lower fails its saving throw against your turn undead feature. The creature is instantly destroyed. Well, I mean, if so they're fifth if it, level, if they're fifth level, they're not. CR it wouldn't equate to a CR of what have. Yeah, so he stays alive. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I was thinking. Like, like, um, I don't think this spell would be strong enough, anyways. Yeah. 
boom, easy peasy. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That was a, yeah. It is what it is. It is what it is. Okay. It's a very easy question. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, if your if your character was like, I mean, even level one wouldn't die. <laughs> at starting at eighth level, when an undead of CR one or lower fails at saving throw, so then if your undead character is like level one, then it would make more sense. Yeah, but there's there's like there is some CR for a party. It's a party of one, right? Like if if a monster is CR level one. That that means a party of level one is meant to fight it. Uh, yeah, like, like four uh, level one characters. Okay. So there's. I just looked it up. I don't know if this is like accurate, uh, but someone says a level thirteen, uh, like player should be around a CR of like six or seven. Sure. Um. That I don't know makes if it's sense, like sense. Yeah. CR. Level five character. Okay, so a character level is about two notches. Uh, CR to like character level is complicated a lot of the times. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Alrighty. Okay. But I I want to I want to look at the turn dead real quick. I mean I know that in. Like the bestiary, uh, there's like they give you like champion or whatever, and then it says, "Oh, it's a level seventeen fighter," and then the CR rating is like nine or something. Mm. Um, I can I can check. Yeah. So I I just wanted to to read turn dead, and it says, uh, "Each undead that can see or hear within thirty feet of you must make a wisdom saving throw." I right. think. Because do it destroy a dead is just using turn undead, and if it's that lower than that and it fails, then it's destroyed. I think oh. you can still turn the player character no matter what, so that they have to roll a wisdom saving throw every time the cleric does it. Yeah, yeah. And if they happen to fail, they just have to run away from the cleric as fast as possible. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, because it, it would just really be suck. turn undead. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be but really I, I don't, funny. I don't think, do it. I don't think the cleric could destroy him, but I do think it could turn him. Oh. Mm -hmm. <sighs> All right. For that our... long one. For our next one, by you slash this underscore is underscore my underscore phone underscore though without a UGH. <laughs> Feeling really discouraged after a mid-campaign session zero, how to proceed? Oh, that's 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 wonderful. Okay, we started this E5 campaign a couple of years ago. We had a session zero, and I laid out some ground rules, some expectations, and asked for the oh. express interest in all three pillars of D and D. What are the three pillars of D and D? Uh, I don't know the off, off the top of my head. I'm thinking like role play. Uh, fighting and something else. Okay, but oh, but less so in social. Okay, so social is one of them. I mentioned I'd lean pretty heavily, oh, on the okay. book, yeah. especially for spells, uh, and to not expect any peasant rail gun cheese to work. I just looked it up. 
uh, it's exploration, social interaction, or like role playing, right? Uh, and combat. Okay. Everyone seemed on the same page, and we explained for quite a while. We've told an admittedly meandering story of a party of quirky heroes following quirky. their ones through a gen generally bleak dying setting with tangible pockets of sincere warmth. There have been some hangups, particularly with the party just wanting spells of magic to do what they want uh, them to do instead of what they say. Some of the combatants were overtuned. Some of the language in the book was too abstract for me to follow, and I made some bad calls. They'd very regularly want me to ignore texts and spells that specifically disallowed them what they want to do. They'd also ask to do impossible stuff, like stopping someone from snapping their fingers, fingers from... Oh, from stopping someone from snapping their fingers from 20 feet away. Uh, there's been a ton of griping about E5, and it's... E5 is just 5th edition, right? I think it's 5th edition. I don't know why they uh, edition five. keep accidentally yeah. swapping yeah. 5 and E. Edition okay. 5. <laughs> and it's oversimplified mechanics and a general resistance to engage with any of the systems 5th edition offers besides combat. While everyone was enjoying the narrative, they often found the game parts of the game to be tedious at best and teeth-pulling at the worst. I could feel small amounts of resentment building and there was a bunny of heads, so I eventually called the session, second session zero to talk about some stuff. I asked them extremely open-headed question open-ended questions and ask their opinions about some hypotheticals and just talk to them what i found it as this is that they don't want to play a game i'd list a bullet point list of stuff we talked about but i'd like to focus on what i thought was a salient example locked doors i felt that more than a few failed attempts at a lock in most dungeon case scenarios should break the lock because otherwise there's no risk of failure in 99 percent of cases the rogue felt he should be able to make checks until it works and the lack of any real fail safe didn't matter i Mentioned that he could play a commoner with a lockpit and get the same results in a lot of scenarios, and he just didn't care. I asked why he leaned so hard into lockpicking them, and he just said he wanted to play Cap Wriggler. I asked why we were rolling to resolve a lock he could brute force with no bonuses in a matter of minutes, and he said he wanted to pick locks and not to remove lock doors from dungeons. Other examples. There's, uh, there's a lot. I'll just go through a you few. You want me though. to like, jump in and give you a break? No, that's fine. I, <laughs> I, I don't think we need all the examples, but like other examples are any time pressure is unwelcome. Dungeons should only change minimally on long rest. Basically, there shouldn't be any punishment for long resting unless it's narratively obvious. Uh, almost any skill check should be repeatable. Any optional rule that reduces their effectiveness is off the table, like encumbrance. Uh, like They should be expected to win any dungeon encounter no matter how poorly they do. <laughs> and and which uh, that, that's that's interesting. Oh, I like this one. They want more downtime, but not too much. Parentheses question mark. <laughs> <laughs> All that is to say, while I can continue to design combat encounters, and while I do still enjoy the narrative, every aspect of the game outside of combat is just a waste of table time from my perspective. At the very best, we have the facade of mechanics. There will never be a risk of failure. Dungeon exploration is just combat encounters and treasure with extra steps. And so are hex crawls. I wanted a game focused on choices. The dungeon is dangerous. How much are you willing to risk? If you have to, are you going to give up the faction objective or the money? What battles are you going to pick? Slash, How far are you going to push yourself to advance your goals? What relationships are you willing to risk or leverage to get what you want? Are you going to travel here for a job or there to save a town? I wanted to spotlight the character's agency by putting them in scenarios where their actions matter, but my players effectively just want hallways. They want the narrative to be written in such a way that all their objectives fall into the left, that all the items, connections, gold, plot points, and everything else be impossible to avoid. 
I don't really know what to do. I'm probably just not going to resolve anything listed and just move past it. Like, the door was locked with a DC-30, but you open it in at the most, absolute most, between one and three minutes. I'm struggling to find what they'd enjoy about any of this, and I'm almost doubting that they'd actually play the game they describe. And Wow. And, this is bad. Um, That's just sounds, a... You should... You, you, you know what they want. They want you to write a book with their characters in it. Uh-huh. And no, then, but like, yeah. what they want to play is just a hack and slash where nothing yeah. matters. Yeah. I, that, that is what they want to do, I think. Oh. <clears throat> uh, what they want is not to play D&D. <laughs> yep. I yeah. think they don't want to play oh my D&D. God. There's there's an example that you skipped over that I like just saw it. I want to say, uh, yeah. they want to be allowed to do impossible feats just because they're the heroes or villains or whatever. Uh, the example used was carrying a two thousand pound obsidian statue up a three thousand foot sheer cliff because eighteen strength. Oh wow! I also yeah. use the example of snapping from twenty feet away. Oh. Mm-hmm. But that snapping thing actually did come up in play. How do you stop someone twenty feet away from snapping? Uh, so you clap your hands hands so hard, right? It <laughs> creates a sonic shockwave that blasts their fingers apart, right? Mm-hmm. They ha- have no choice but to open their hands and not snap. <laughs> <laughs> My God! Huh. Huh. leave these people. Yeah, I they mean, don't they deserve just, your phone. They, yeah, they just don't want to play your game. But like, they, the thing is, they, they want a book written about them, and then just have it happen. But they don't actually want to play it or have a struggle. I guess. Yeah, the game is just not this. You're, you're not. Yeah, they're just not meant for you. They're not meant for D and D. Period. I feel like. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. You it's, it, it, it's these players that like I like if they don't learn that D&D isn't a game where like the players are like main hero plot armor characters mm-hmm. like it just it's just not going to work out for them so just just drop <laughs> so like you just gotta have to tell them that and then hope they learn and if they don't well then fuck <laughs> Yeah. Guess guess we're done playing D and D with these people. <laughs> oh man, it's just so bad. Okay, I I mean yeah, like, like what are you gonna do? It's it's too it's too different, you know. If there was like one issue or something that like, uh, like if they just wanted a little less role play than what you were doing but there's so many many things that they like think you're doing wrong that they need to find a new dm and you need to find a better table yeah that that's what it boils down to right like they just don't want to play your game so the end You could say that's a real moment. Is that a reference I should get? What does that mean? <laughs> Bing it means good morning, China. Right now I have ice cream. 
All right, hopefully our next question's um, a happier one. Yeah, that was really depressing. I'm sorry. (laughs) We hope you get out of that situation, uh, phone. Uh, Our next question uh, is by user... Deadly hamster, but a bunch of the but a bunch of the vowels are replaced by letters. Yeah, or numbers, numbers. I know how <laughs> I know how I know how English characters work. Uh, <laughs> and the question is, what are some interesting and fun ways I can challenge a player who has twenty plus passive perception and investigation? <laughs> this guy's definitely a rogue or a bard. One of the players in my game, through the combination of being an inquisitive rogue on Very top of feats, has ridiculously high passives in perception and investigation. I try as much as I can to give them very detailed and cool answers for noticing stuff with the superhuman abilities they possess, but I do want to challenge them as well and add more fun slash interesting scenarios. Will be a good will be good to try so that it tests their skills while still being fun and rewarding. Mm-hmm. It's called a puzzle. Yep. <laughs> Uh, it's literally a puzzle like just because you're good at just because you have high perception and investigation doesn't mean you can solve a puzzle immediately so right yeah make a puzzle there's a there's a comment the the top comment uh by actual lady aurora uh, i think sums up what you should do perfectly uh they say there's a secret door at the back wall of the room it's a dc 15 investigation check to find the door the rogues uh Passive investigation is easily 15 plus. And then this is like what you should say. Uh, the stone walls of the room are adorned with portraits of the family. Rogue, with your investigator's instincts, as you walk further in, you immediately notice that the painting on the back wall is perfectly flat against the wall and not angled from hanging on a hook like the rest of the artwork. Uh, your player with the high score is clued into the fact that there's something on the back wall. Probably figures that's going to be a secret door, but still needs to make an active check to figure out how to reveal it. Your player gets to feel cool for their investment in their passive skill, and you get to basically tell the player where the cool stuff you prepped is. But it doesn't fully trivialize the encounter. I think that's great. Uh, that's, like, yeah, that's, there are passive that's reveals that there is something there, but not how to open it or anything like that. Yeah, yeah that, that that's also valid for time. Yeah, or like you know those um those puzzles and games where you have to change the pose of the statue to like match something. Mm-hmm. So like you can clue them in like, oh, you see a joint on the statue that that seems like there's a like why is there a joint a there? Hand, right? So you can move the hand, but you don't mm-hmm. know where to move the hand right so yeah and you have to have them roll like oh look at the other statues in the room what do you notice about them and then you describe those statues mm-hmm. but like then they then the players themselves have to make the mental connection like oh we gotta this this is the pattern and all the statues we yeah. gotta make this one look like that one something yeah. like that it's pretty I think, cool i think this is great because there's a lot of situations where you make up a dungeon and you make secret rooms and stuff that no one will never like find if they aren't actively looking for a specific thing, and this sure. just kind of cues the players into a uh, like narrowing down their search at least because there's some people who just search uh, every rock in a, in a dungeon. 
mm-hmm. and that's annoying to roleplay. Yeah, and and this is even useful in like combat, right? Like you're you're traveling, and then only the rogue can notice a bunch like an ambush coming up. Yeah, or like I don't know, one of those traps where if you step on it, your foot gets flung into the air. Mm-hmm. So it would be pretty cool. I think just having this, like, I mean, there's, you don't need to specifically design, it'll just come up eventually, and then they'll feel cool. So, yeah, you could if you want, but also, it's just super useful to have in general. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <sighs> Next question from Decon1344. Uh, this is probably another sad one. My oh, first campaign oh, oh, just no. imploded. And a long one. Oh, no. Yeah, not as long as yours, I don't think. Uh, for context, this started out as a Ravenloft adventure. We started at level 1 and are currently into level 11. Oh. I started my game about a year and some cha- month change ago. Mm-hmm. Months, months ago, I don't know. A year and some change. Like... Yeah, it's just, it's, it's a, a it's a bad reference. No, it, it's a it's a thing. People uh, say it, it. Is it? Yeah. Is it a thing? Yeah. Should it be a thing? No, but it is. No, but it is. <laughs> About a year and some change ago, I only did so because I wanted to get into D and D and the campaign setting I wanted to play in. Never seemed to have open seats, so I dived in feet first and decided and decided to DM it instead as there were other people in the same boat who wanted to play. Over the course of one and a half years, the group had something special about it. We talked both inside and out of game, and as someone who doesn't have friends due to life circumstances and my own inability to understand certain social interactions, this online game became something special to me. Another reason this current situation is hard for me. We have had a difficult session last week. Ultimately, the players were successful. I reached out to one of the players that was upset and... As said player felt useless that session, as they had a minimum spell slots and two wizards had counterspelled a healing spell and a spell that would have interrupted the spell the minions were casting. The response was negative against me as a DM. Some of it I understood and planned on initiating some changes for future games. Others were examples on what she thought combat needed. I provided her examples of how I thought I was providing those in combat player took that as me being dismissive of her feelings and debating them. I felt I was asking questions because I did not understand. It was pointed out other players felt the same way. I opened that up to the general chat, indicating that this interaction has made me feel like I've wasted my time. And if no one is having fun, then I'd step down. The player felt like a bad guy, called out, and left the server, being the only one that replied. Long story short, that player quit the server. Yesterday, I have, but that player quit the server yesterday. I have a feeling two to three other players may follow said player as they were all better friends. I have two players that want to continue. The whole thing feels very messy. I feel that I've lost friends over a miscommunication, misunderstanding, and asking further clarifications on something I did not fully understand. Not sure how this campaign can move forward. Nothing hurts more than pouring hours of your life into something and having it fall apart. On top of someone being extremely critical of it, without leaving any positives, I honestly felt like I was being roasted by Gordon Ramsay. The only compliment I could get is, you're a nice guy. 
With that out of the way, I was hoping to come here for some advice. There are some things I still do not comprehend in, ask, in asking questions to the players right now would be ill-advised. Hey, he's got like six questions here. All right, number one. Is it taboo for a DM to use counter spell? I tried to I tried to not overuse it maybe six times over the course of uh one and a half years. Uh I did use it on some healing spells, typically with higher level boss slash sub bosses. Let's go over that first. I think using counter spell is fine. Yeah. I think it's valid. I mean like I, again, like you don't want to overuse it, but yeah, I I remember the one shot I I ran. I uh I I think I used counter spell like twice. Did you? Yeah. I don't. Remember. I didn't have spells. I wasn't paying attention to counter spell. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think counter spell is annoying. It's annoying, but it's annoying the same way like silvery barbs is annoying. And no, I think it's silvery barbs is so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think... know what you're talking about. There's nothing wrong with silvery barbs. And like, I don't any... use it as a crutch. What are you talking about? <laughs> any smart spellcaster would have counter spell. Like, it's yeah, unrealistic for uh, especially like bosses and uh, sub bosses to not have counter spell. Yeah, it's definitely they just didn't focus on that type of magic. It's definitely meant to be in the game. It's just annoying. But yeah, you should use it if they have it. <laughs> like, if you're gonna be realistic, they would use it anytime there's a very scary spell. Exactly, yeah. Though, you do have to, like, restrain yourselves. I think it's okay to use it on healing spells um, sometimes. Uh, you gotta be careful, though. If the player is, like, literally dying, I would avoid using it on yeah. the healing spell. <laughs> It's like the it's like the hitting a down player mechanic, right? Like, yeah. like yeah, they could just uh, end him, but that would be very mean. It's kind of a dick move. Unless you want to be not a to dick, say but you I, mean, shouldn't... I don't think you do. Also, not, not to say you shouldn't uh, hit a down player all the time. Yeah, or like, I mean, like sometimes. Sometimes it's okay. Sometimes ha- has not happened yet. <laughs> I happen tomorrow. Who knows? <laughs> you guys can't see it, but Calvin just uh, smiled at his camera. It's a little scary. Uh, Their right. second question: I do not think well on my feet due to my OCD. Everything needs to be planned, or else I'll forget something. So at times, it makes improvising difficult. I need a start point and an end point. Otherwise, I feel things spiral out of control. How do you handle this? I'm kind of oh. the same way. I don't have like a bad OCD, but I do have like a start point and an end point to almost all my uh, sessions. I um, I haven't DM'd enough to really be able to answer this because the only thing I have DM'd is Lost Mind Defend Over, which, as we all know, is very simple and freeform. So it's like, even if something kind of quote unquote surprises you, like there's still a lot of options and it's not hard to come up with something on the, I guess that's not, it's not the same for everyone, but there's enough there that you can reasonably did like infer like what would happen if someone does something a bit fucky with the, with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm 
I'm pretty bad at like dialogue, right? But basically, I I underplan. I should plan more, and most <laughs> of my most of my every time I've DM'd is like mostly improvisation, right? Like yeah. I just write out a very uh like like a skeletal frame of what I want to do and then I kind of make up everything as I go and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't but uh I can't really help with that question. Hmm. Like yeah, I find the the more I prep, the easier it gets to improvise. Mhm. That's valid. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't I don't know. You you kind of ask a question like it's kind of just a I guess all it's pretty much just like a skill that you need to practice. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Uh their third question, I was told my NPCs felt vague. This was because I felt there was an expectation for every NPC that had minor information or a piece of a larger puzzle, if you will. To know every, everything going on, uh, sometimes the whole purpose of the NPC was to deliver the lore to the players that had been missed. Uh, when PCs would ask questions about information the NPCs did not have access to, the NPC would repeat some of the key pieces of information followed by not knowing anything else. Feels like very much like video game NPCs who just repeat the same line over and over again. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of work to make good NPCs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, they shouldn't have that expectation. <laughs> like, you shouldn't expect a whole PC's level of uh, personality into the millions of NPCs that fill the world. Yeah, exactly. That's 100%. <laughs> I do, I a lot of the times with NPCs, I'll make up their personality and stuff like on the spot. I, I might have like a general idea beforehand, uh, unless they're like a very important PC that like they'll keep coming up. Then you got to give it uh, some thought. And the the DMG has uh, some great pointers on that. Mm-hmm. They have a whole section about making NPCs and their personalities. Yeah, you could go look at that. Um. Uh, number four one of the critiques was that I do not give players ability to shine I offered challenging fights as all the players had high level magic items and some homebrew ones I always felt there were ways for the players to shine that were missed opportunities by the players that, That's, that might be valid that that um I think I think you need to offer times for them to shine both in fights and outside of fights. Yeah. You know what makes them not shine? Counterspell. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sure. <laughs> so like without us actually being able to sit down at his table, uh there there's a probably very high po- probability that the players are missing out on stuff just because they're not paying attention to it. Yeah. However, like there are times where you could like write some pretty obvious uh shine moments. Yeah. Um, like I think I think an interesting way to make combat more interesting and have players be more innovative, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh I can do this cool thing is like make more interesting 
environments. Yeah. Like yeah. collapsible buildings, uh high ground, low ground. Like you it's can over Anakin. Yeah. Pretty much. It's or like it's uh, Anakin. Get a lot of uh do a lot of obstacles in the way. So Yeah. It's not all like people can't be as closer together. Yeah. I definitely want to utilize like half cover, three quarters cover more in my mm-hmm. combat. Um yeah, I think that would be cool. Or like just a like good examples of level building is like I don't know, you can you could have someone hide and like push a boulder down a cliff or something and then just like yeah. avoid a combat encounter altogether. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know. And that uh would be like a really good way for um like the more intelligent PCs to shine of like coming up with this plan as well as the more uh uh the stronger PCs to shine the like being able to push this boulder and stuff. Mm-hmm. So like there's little little moments like that you could like pepper in to uh make a character shine. Yeah. Uh, you could also outside of combat and stuff it, delve into character backgrounds. Um, exactly. And yes. like always always do that. Yeah. I think it's really nice if they write enough of a backstory where you can like create a side quest for a character. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> right. It also Number depends th- on the campaign. I mean, if you're homebrewing the campaign, it gets pretty. It's a little difficult, but at the same time, easier because yeah, since you're in control of the world and like you know everything, you can maneuver things. Well, with a module, this nothing has anything to do with the players in a module. So like. You can really just put anything you want, but at the same time, sometimes it'll not make sense any more than, but you know. Yeah, I find I it know. easier uh, to delve into character backgrounds with homebrew stuff because you're making it all up, and it's easier to wedge that type of stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, their fifth question, some of the players felt that their actions had no impact in the world. I'm not sure how to handle this one. I wanted the world to feel alive. Villains are not just going to sit back and wait around, nor are there underlings. They have their own list to accomplish, so logically, I felt the villain needed to impact the world somehow, while the party was otherwise occupied with other things. Okay, yeah. I, I don't I know think, how you I, could. I get, I get how, what do you mean? So I think, like, yeah. what's happening is, like, the characters are off doing a side quest, and then the villain, like starts winning more, and then the players feel like, oh, we're not doing anything, because the villain's winning more. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah. Like, it feels like they're not getting a lot of leeway because, like, bad stuff are, is still happening. Yeah. I mean... I kind of like that, though. Yeah. Like, it's a very realistic thing. I always hate the ones where it's like, oh, you stumbled upon the cult uh, just as they were about to get started on their ritual or something. Yeah. Like I I I get it, right? Mm-hmm. I he's he's being really realistic and that's that's very good. Uh yeah. I guess just like after they complete a main story quest, just have some genuine impact like maybe an NPC you met earlier is living a better life now cuz you you killed the evil warlord or whatever yeah. and you like maybe like you there's an evil warlord right and his mm-hmm. and obviously his his land is pretty pretty like 
poor, basically, in poverty. Yeah. All the NPCs are pretty bad. And sure. so you depose this warlord, and then you get to appoint an NPC that you talked to earlier as a better new leader. And then, like, you come back, like, four or five sessions later, and there's new things in the shop because new trade routes opened and stuff. That'd be yeah. pretty cool. That that would be very cool. Uh, but that also, like, kind of falls under the players of uh, if they decide to go back. It, yeah. It's it's harder to show that type of stuff if they keep moving forward uh, or, or, without returning. Or even like, oh, there's a traveling trader and I come from this province and, yeah. oh, thank you. Here's a gift for uh, defeating this guy, you know? Mm -hmm. That would work too. Um, yeah. Just like an idea. <laughs> and then... Their last question... How does one offer a weakness to certain enemies, then still use them as viable and challenging threats in later games? Have other enemies that complement their weaknesses fight alongside yep. them. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yep. <laughs> I mean... Oh, man, that was a long one. I feel like that lot of them's pretty simple, but it's just hard. I don't. I don't think people immediately think of it because yeah. people don't. I mean, when I try to, when I was trying to build encounters, I'm like, I don't want to think about this because <laughs> it is hard. Yeah, I don't, and I don't really think about uh, the players at all when I make an encounter. Uh, more than just like what it's, what's their level and like. Is this too much? Will it kill them? Uh, but I, I do think about uh, like what realistically would be around here. What, uh, who would be doing something at this time, and like why would they be doing it and stuff like that. Uh, mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily try to make it a counter to, uh, you know, like counter certain abilities and stuff like that. <clears throat> yeah, dude. Oof, that's a um, rough experience, though. Yeah. Yeah. I, going back to that story, I did want to mention one thing of. Uh, I don't think you're listening to this, but you could, if you happen to be listening to this, uh, try reaching out to that player uh, one more time or something. And, like, try to. Uh, yeah, maybe just like a, a little apology or something of and explain uh, the confusion. And maybe she'll come back and it'll be better, but... Yeah. I believe in you, Decon1344. <laughs> Jeez. So uh, I don't think this I was necessarily people. a bad no, I don't, uh, but player I just, or a bad DM. But I don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. For our next question... <laughs> on a okay. much bright on a much brighter now. <laughs> you slash Mikey Z two. RP research making a drunken master monk in a new five E campaign. What kind of movies could I watch to get? Ooh, ooh. Mm. I have not watched enough kung fu movies, unfortunately. Neither have I really. Um, drunken master monk. Well, in I the comments, like... there's a Jackie Chan movie called Drunken Master. That's true. Really? I feel like that's a funny Poe. 
could kind of be a Poe. Poe Poe's a good Poe's like Poe's not actively thing. drug, but he's so um he's so dumb that it just kind of it, it also he's, right. he's like he's kind of dumb so it works out like he's not like the wise kind of kung fu guy but he knows how to do kung fu like it's very like kind of the same idea as a drunken master honestly like the drunken like this like for like the drunk but still a master and still like m- getting things to work like Jack Sparrow in Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, yeah. yeah, like you're yeah. not you're not getting the kung fu cool. part, but you're, you're getting the but you're getting the mentality. You're getting the mentality perfectly. Yeah, right. Yeah. Who? What other character has that kind of movement? Um, second half of Princess Bride, uh, Inigo Montoya. My name is Inigo Montoya. After, like, Inigo and, uh, Fed- who did Andre the Giant play? I forgot I, the oh, name. I forget his name, too, yeah. After the inconceivable guy dies, and, like, Inigo just goes back to being a drunkard, like, that kind of mentality of being, like, there's a drug guy who just also is a master at swordsmanship and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he, he's less of a drunken master than, a. The, like a uh, Jack Sparrow or anything like that, but it's still good. <laughs> I look at the comments. One guy's Rock Lee uh, from Naruto. That's very <laughs> true, especially when Rock Lee uh, gets a sip of alcohol. Watch Rock Lee's one fighter from Naruto. Ah, uh, yes, that one fight. I know that one fight. Oh goodness, <laughs> you're from Spy Family. Ah. Oh, that's also valid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know what? That that's also valid. Yeah, it's the one where she fights Floyd while she's yeah. drunk. Oh my yeah, goodness. just don't uh, pass out. We're just thinking of drunk people who yeah. fight now. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's valid. Yeah, you're there's not a, there's um, not a lot of comments under this one. Most people are just saying uh, "drunken master." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I should I should watch more Jackie Chan movies. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, th- I think Jack Sparrow is definitely in, uh, a good a good one to bounce off from. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, what's next? Hmm. Yeah, I'm not gonna say what I, that joke. Uh, let's see. Wait, wait, wait. Wait. Andrew, go back. What, hey, what this is rated A two plus for a reason. Yeah. Well, I was just gonna say, get drunk yourself. And then do something cool. Oh, that's <laughs> not that's not eighteen. That's twenty one. We uh, exactly there unless you go. you're in, don't in, underage shrinking here. No, all you Belgian listeners, I know you're out you there. Oh, you Belgian listeners. I I know I know our statistics from Spotify. Yeah, we know where you live, guys. No, we don't. <laughs> Wait. Well, I, I mean, just, I don't. I just wanted to say I know their like general age groups. Okay. <laughs> maybe David knows where you live. Maybe I don't. Maybe I do. <laughs> All right. I'll make sure to lock my doors and windows. Posted by you slash Vrenzi. I got fifty k gold. What I'd do with it? <laughs> so recently, me and my party did our first in person session, and it went very well. 
We fought a white dragon, kill it, and took his treasure. All fun and games, until our DM reveals to us that one of the items from the horde was the deck of many things. Yeah, that fucking thing. Long story short, I draw three cards, survived, and one of the cards I got was gem, which gave me basically 50k gold. Any suggestion on how to spend it? We are currently level 6, and I am a paladin. Edit. Yo, I have been reading y'all's suggestion, and I damn appreciate it. That's some crazy stuff. I definitely got inspired. <laughs> it's all like y'all and instantly switched accents. <laughs> yeah, dude, uh, I love no, this. I didn't. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't. I didn't do that. I, I love this first. Uh, this top comment. Uh, invested. Open a tavern. Call it the White Dragon Tavern and mount its head as your door sign. That is amazing. <laughs> That's yeah. dope. Wait, okay, no, we, you can finally build a fortress! You can build a fortress. Ah! Build a yeah. fortress, yes! Honestly, with 50k, you could probably start a small town. Yeah. Wait, no, okay, downtime activity. Oh, this is, this is something I've always wanted to do. <laughs> Let's see. Running a franchise. Not that one. Okay, building a stronghold. Okay. What can you build with 50k gold? You can build a keep or a keep small, or castle. small castle. Okay, Ooh. so you can build like your own Care Morhen. A guild like, hall, town, or city only costs five thousand. Really? <laughs> Wait, you can build ten towns and create your own country. First off, I that's way too cheap. I'm saying the guild hall itself should be five thousand, and subsequent subsequent buildings, depending on what they are, like cheaper or higher. Okay, okay. <sighs> well, if you're you're a paladin, you can build an abbey. You can build like, yep, build a church. Yeah, basically, a temple is fifty k. You could build a temple huh. at the site where you killed the the white dragon. Oh yeah. Apparently, <laughs> Eckle Tesla. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to hire wizards to put magic mouth on coins so that periodically, when they're used to pay for things, they will loudly shout out. One of the following phrases. The curse has been transferred. Sacrifice selected. It has <laughs> begun. Fake currency. This currency was stolen from the Fae. Thief. Uh, <laughs> add additional phrases, but you're getting the idea. You're going to cause complete and utter chaos in the delayed timer. <laughs> <laughs> These I are don't... so good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one dude suggests uh, fund your own uh, starting and funding your own nightly order of paladins. You buy a barracks and hire some veterans to train potential recruits. That'd be pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I think you could build a temple dude. and then do that. So you could develop and yeah. we could do the Ninth Crusade. Yo! Yeah. Down with the heretics. <laughs> dude, there's another crusade. So good. There's so much you could do with 50k. Spend it. Don't hoard it. Yeah. Wait, what are the other uh, cards in a deck of many things? Uh, a lot of them are bad. So, many, so half, there's many half the deck is bad, half of it is good. Sort okay. of. Uh, I have a deck of many things on me right now. Like in, in real I life? I have a little book that... Uh, oh, wow. That has oh, that's all sick. Stuff. Yeah, so I, I, saying... kick I kick-started this, uh, this deck of many things from Cats and Cantrips. So they got cool little 
cat illustrations on all of them. I love oh, it so sick. much. So are you saying we're going to find a deck of many things in our campaign and we'll get to use that physical deck of many things in it? Maybe at some point, but like I want to I want it to like make sense when you get it, if you oh, get there's it. One, there's one that gives you 50,000 XP. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's the full where you lose 10,000 XP, discard this card, draw from the deck again, counting both cards. Or counting both draws is one of your declared draws. If you lose that much, if losing that much XP would cut you to lose a level, you instead lose an amount that leaves you with just enough XP to keep your level. <laughs> there's some of these that like don't translate well over to uh, milestone. Uh, milestone, which like. Sure. I think online you could find alternate uh, milestone rules. <clears throat> right. No. Oh, Jeb, There's 25 pieces of jewelry worth 2,000 gold each uh-huh. appear at your feet. Okay, cool. <laughs> that, that's where he got the okay, basic yeah, 50k. Uh, There's the well, knight. You gain the service of a fourth level fighter who appears in a space you choose within 30 feet of you. Ooh. Fighter is of the same race as you and serves you loyally until death, believing the fates have drawn him or her to you, you could troll this character. Oh, that's cool. so sick! Uh, uh, skull, this... you summon an avatar of death, a ghostly humanoid skeleton clad in a tattered black robe and carrying a spectral scythe. It appears in a space of the DM's choice within ten feet of you and attacks you with warning all others that you must win the battle alone. Oh, that's so metal. The avatar fights until you die or it drops to zero hit points whereupon it disappears. If anyone tries to help you, the helper summons its own avatar of death. A creature slain by an avatar of death can't be restored to life. Oh, that's cool. That's scary. No, yeah. No. <clears throat> huh. Uh, there's the throne. You gain proficiency in the persuasion skill, and you double your proficiency bonuses on any checks made with that skill. Uh, basically, you get expertise in that skill. In addition, you gain rightful ownership of a small keep somewhere in the world. However, the keep is currently in the hands of monsters, which you must clear out before you claim the keep as yours. That's cool. You also don't know where the keep is, so you gotta find it. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of fun stuff that the DM could uh, fuck with you with. Yeah, you could could also pull a void and instantly die. Yep. And I think there's one that destroys the deck itself, (laughs) too. Um, it, decks oh. could decks of many things could be fun. Your mind One, uh, su- can send you back in time. Ooh. Balance. Your mind suffers a wrenching alteration, causing your alignment to change. Full becomes chaotic, good becomes evil, and vice versa. <laughs> cool. Uh, this deck that I got has a couple of custom cards too. Uh there's oh, yeah? yeah, there's one called Catnip. A pouch of catnip appears in your hands. This pouch contains 1d3 plus 1 uses of catnip. When consumed by a creature of the beast or monstrosity type, that creature will fly into an unyielding rage as though they were a first-level barbarian, getting all the benefits and restrictions of that class feature for 10 minutes. It goes more into it, but that's basically what it does. Uh, there's, a, I think there's another one, but I don't uh, know where it is in the booklet. That'd be cool. There's some cool stuff in here. Decks are fun. But 
be careful as a DM of giving it out unless you want uh, the campaign to get a lot crazier a lot faster. Yeah, I was going to say that. That's going to escalate really quickly. Mm-hmm. Our next question is from Hey Sketch a Doodle. What crime would casting animated dead on a nobleman's dead daughter fall into? <laughs> My D&D character needs a reason for why they ended up in jail. So I'm making a little wanted poster to introduce them to the other party members. What would bring back what would bringing back the daughter or son of a nobleman as a zombie be classified in terms of a crime? Unsanctioned necromancy? I guess so. Yes. I think so. I yeah. <laughs> I feel like in a world where necromancy is a thing, it would it they would make up their own crimes and stuff for necromancy instead of falling into our regular crimes. Nec- mm-hmm. ne- necromancy without consent. Maybe if it was in like our crimes, there's definitely it'd be like vandalism of a grave or something. I don't know. That yeah. that also like grave digging. Lot, yeah. I f- I feel like there's a lot of crimes. <laughs> this could yeah, de- 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 yeah, depending on how they got the body, it could be a desecrated or looting of a grave or something yeah i feel like that charge would uh would just add on to the simple act of necromancy though you know Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah that's about it to be honest yeah yeah you're welcome yeah i i think unsanctioned necromancy is a good uh way to go what would the punishment be life in life in prison it'd be or or just execution. Like be, I'm pretty sure that how punishment depends on the country, true. I guess. Yeah. All right. Next next question. U slash Nadro J underscore retrack. Lightning bolt in water. Hypothetically, if you had a player cast lightning bolt on a lake that had fifty mermaids in it, would you let everything that touched the water at the same time the lightning struck take the damage or just the width of the lightning bolt five feet? Mm. So would the water conduct the magical lightning? Five e two. Okay, I looked up r slash ask science. How far can electricity travel through water? Sure. Uh, it says solving for distance and plugging in numbers gives a safe distance of approximately. 110 meters. So depending on the size of the lake, I wouldn't check everything. Even if we like ignored that as just a general thing in my head that seems too overpowered Mm -hmm. to hurt everyone. Mm -hmm. I, I think I would give it a boost just to kind of like reward that player, you know? Mm hmm. I think yeah. Rule With of cool, allies in the I would give it a boost. Damage. Yeah. Rule of cool guys. Water conducts electricity. Mm-hmm. You could do the breath of the wild thing where like if an electric thing touches the water, it has like the pulse of like like just a bigger radius of where it touches the water. Sure. Right? So instead of like five feet wide, it becomes like I don't know, fifteen feet wide. Yeah. And it's still a hundred feet long. But um, I wouldn't make it conduct everywhere. I I think I would. That'd be kind of funny. 
It's also a little out there. Like most people wouldn't really think of that. Mm-hmm. Now, if they tried to just do like shocking grasp on the water, that wouldn't work. That that would be yeah. like a pretty small area of effect. Mm-hmm. But I would still let it do an area of effect because that is kind of clever. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, this person under the comments, Ed Too Cute, uh, says lakes are massive, but generally the electricity diffuses very quickly. After a quick search, it looks like some believe it could possibly travel about 20 feet from the center. So at best, I'd say the spell has a width of 20 feet underwater to be generous. Nah. 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 So like, I I maybe like would boost up to like maybe a, a 10 foot circle or something. I don't think it would hit all 50 mermaids. That feels physically impossible though. Maybe real funny though. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, water does diffuse lightning pretty quickly. So, mm-hmm. yeah, DM, you do it. <laughs> you got it, dude. You you got it, dude. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's all the questions how, we how have for questions the day. Are just like DM, go. <laughs> yes alright alright everyone thanks for listening to 3 Goblins Rit and join us next time on Goblins and Guidance alright and guys what's a goblin's favorite supervillain hey!